0: So here we are. We're five years old as a church. And I think it is worth celebrating. The reason I think it's worth celebrating is not so we can look at ourselves and say, How good is this? Because that would be complete foolishness. Rather, it's to celebrate how good God is and his faithfulness. Because one of the things, particularly for me, that I've noticed this week is this idea that sometimes you have a year like this year, have a year like 2020, we go through stuff and we feel like every new path, every new opportunity, every new door that we walk through directly behind it is a big fat brick wall that we're banging our heads on, that we're smashing into over and over and over again. And and sometimes you can get despondent by these things and sometimes you can say, Well God, where are you? Why are you not coming through? And what we actually need to do instead of continually trying to charge forward is actually look back, and when we look back and we see the pile of rubble of walls that God has already broken down before, as He has smashed through those walls and He's taken us beyond an obstacle that we didn't think we could get past, and He's proven His faithfulness time and time and time again. And so sometimes we get to life, and instead of always looking forward, we need to go back, and we need to actually celebrate God. We need to celebrate what He's done. We need to celebrate His faithfulness. We celebrate. Celebrate who he is. So that's what we're doing today as a church. We're celebrating the faithfulness of God through all seasons. We're celebrating the fact that he has kicked down walls before and he will kick down walls again. And 2020 will become 2021. And God is faithful and he's always been faithful. So we do that and we remember who he is. We remember that we're still in his hands. He's still on the throne. He's still Lord of all, and so I think birthdays are a cool opportunity to do that. They're a cool opportunity to look back, and it's actually Mabel's birthday today as well. For those of you who know our little Mabel, she's eight, so uh, we were we've been up for a while. <laughs> she was excited this morning to be alive, and uh, the first thing she said was, "Mom, it's only what eight thousand seconds until I'm nine, or something like that." So she was keen, but it's, cool. it's a cool opportunity to look back and just celebrate God's faithfulness and who God is and what he's done. And we've done, I've got to confess, I've done that with the church this week. We've taken some time to, to look back. And um, it's funny because as I look back, I found this photo. Can we put that photo up of us on our first birthday? This is our leadership team on our very first birthday as a church. And uh, it's really interesting to look at because Beck has not aged a single day but look at that hair on my head. I blame all of you for that. You know? I love you, but this isn't what it used to be. <laughs> it's a bit greyer, there's a bit less going on up there. Um it's funny because as I looked at that photo, I uh was reflecting on, you know, the past, and it's funny how God sort of grows us, and it was rammed home later that week when I had a conversation with one of the young people in our church, who shall not go unnamed, Drew Hinton, wherever you are right there, uh, and he, he, he came over, was talking about the fact that um, we, we were doing a workout, and he was saying, why is it that you've always got a niggle? <laughs> you old blokes, can you believe that? You old blokes, there's always a niggle, there's always, you've always got something sore, you know, and there I am with my foam roller, warming up the ITBs in the lower back, taking my 15 to 20 minutes to get myself ready for exercise. He just walks in, does a backflip, and he's good to go. <laughs> and there's something about age, there's something about being on the journey of life, you know, you're going through some stuff, and actually sometimes we look at that and we see that as a negative thing, but I think often it's a positive thing because, again, those those scars or those, those difficulties are actually signs, again, of God's faithfulness. He's brought us through stuff, and he's, he's brought us there. But as we were chatting, uh, I remembered, as he was talking about, why does it take so long to warm up? I remembered a book that I bought many, many years ago by a guy called Dr. Kelly Starrett, and the book is called Becoming a Supple Leopard. <laughs> now, if you could see your faces... <laughs> It seems weird, like, it seems like it would be a fake thing. It's actually a real thing that sold millions of copies across the world, and this guy's a movement expert, right? And the reason I bought it was because at the time, Bailey was a toddler, and I used to just envy his flawless squatting form. <laughs> Have you ever noticed how, how a toddler can, like, when they pick something up off the floor, their squat is immaculate, isn't it? They're just in this, like their back's perfectly straight, their knees are slightly tilted, out, they're just, you know, they're, they're low to the ground, like, it's good, and I used to watch them and go, why can't I do that? I'm sure I used to be able to squat like that, why have I lost that capacity? And so I went to Google, and I googled, Fed income. no, like, no lie, I googled, how to squat like a toddler, <laughs> and what came up, Over and over again, this was about eight years ago when I did it, but every article I read, they kept mentioning this guy, Dr. Kelly Starrett, and they kept mentioning this book, Becoming a Supple Leopard. So I bought it, and it's a fascinating book because the whole premise that he has, he he sort of poses everything around this. One question is, why do leopards not have to warm up? He's like, a leopard never has to warm up, but human beings do. A leopard can go from sleeping in a tree to sprinting after a gazelle in the matter of seconds. Whereas humans can't do that. What do we do? We tear a hamstring. <laughs> or we ping it back. Or we ping this. Or we ping that. He's like, why is that the case? And, the, and the, the point that he raises over and over again is that he says, the reason a leopard doesn't have to warm up is because it is always doing exactly what it was created to do. Whereas humans are not. What humans are doing is we are sitting on a couch. You know, we spend hours and hours and hours a day sitting in non-functional positions and therefore our bodies have adapted to our malaise. And so he's like, the reason we can't do what we should be able to do is because the comforts of this world have impacted our capacity to act as we were created to act which is really interesting, and that, like, his his mic drop moment was this phrase, he said, our pursuit of comfort has meant we are ill-prepared for action, and that resonated with me this week, not in the physical, because it is an interesting physiological thought, but there's some physios in here who'd be like, that's crazy, man, adults will never squat like toddlers, but I started to think, well, I think he's onto something very, very deep here, if we apply that to the church, the things of the Spirit and the Kingdom of God. And we look at our culture, this idea that our pursuit of comfort has meant we are ill prepared for action. And as we're going to come in a minute to this passage that we're going to look at today in our Commands of Christ series, this is the question that Jesus is fundamentally asking us. Are you ready? Are you prepared Are you ready to go? So we're going to go there now. Matthew chapter 25. In the commands of Christ, we read this. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and he fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps and the foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came, sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I do not know you. Therefore, keep watch. Keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. The commands of Christ, keep watch. Be prepared. Have a supple spirit. Are we ready? That is the question that Jesus is asking. You know, two weeks ago, we looked at the greatest command. And as we looked at that, we talked about the fact that in this moment, Jesus is, is in Passion Week. He's days away from the cross. And so we saw something in Jesus. We saw an intensity of his teaching that I don't think we'd really seen before this week. He has this, this laser focus where he's just fixed. The Bible says that he resolutely set out towards Jerusalem. That Jesus is actually now, he's really, uh, he's not messing about. There's, the banter's gone. He's super direct, And what we're going to see in this teaching is this incredibly deep, powerful teaching that Jesus is about to bring. And then last week, we looked at this command of don't let your hearts be troubled, which is John 14, which is actually also Passion Week, just a couple of days on from two weeks before. Jesus, again, laser focus, great intensity. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Stuff's going to happen. And today as we arrive, we actually go back a, a day or two from last week and moving on just a few hours probably from two weeks ago. This is our situation. He's given that great command. He's, he's standing there just outside the temple. And remember the setting, Passion Week, Passover Festival. And Passover Festival means that basically the entire nation Everyone who's anyone is there. All the people are gathered ready for this incredible feast of worship and celebration. And if you go to Matthew chapter 23, so you understand the context here, Jesus is going off like a frog in a sock at the religious leaders. He is letting them have it. It is a scathing attack. He's got seven woes. He says, Woe to you, seven times. And seven times he laments these religious leaders. He re- laments the way that the people who are supposed to be leading Israel into the presence of God are behaving. Seven times he says, you're hypocrites. He says, you whitewashed tombs full of dead bones. That's pretty intense. You with me? He, he, he's calling them snakes and serpents. He says, you're like a cup that's clean on the outside, but inside you're filthy and rotten. He's attacking, and it's not just a quiet little meeting where they can then go, oh, that was pretty rough. This is in front of everybody. No wonder they crucified him. He just goes off in 23, and 23 becomes 24, and as 24 happens, it's fascinating, because he starts to leave the temple, and the disciples say, hey, look at all these temple buildings. And what does Jesus do? Jesus has this really interesting sort of shift in focus, and he starts teaching his disciples about the end of days. He doesn't, he's not looking to just a couple of days' time when he'll be hung on a cross. He's not looking to three days after when he'll be raised from the dead. No, his mind goes thousands of years into the future. And as he goes thousands of years into the future, he declares and he starts teaching about, I am coming back. He's taught him he's, he will be crucified. He will rise again. You know, this temple will be destroyed in three days, I'll rebuild it. He's declared that over and over. But now, now he says, and he goes, I'm coming back. I'm going to go away and I'm coming back. And he just declares this to them. And then he says, in the meantime, while you're waiting recognize the signs of the times, recognize what's going to happen. There's going to be pestilence, there's going to be famine, there's going to be war, there's going to be a whole heap of stuff that happens in the waiting, but don't lose focus. Don't allow the the things of this world, don't allow the, the negative things, but also don't allow all the comforts of your culture to distract you because I am coming back. I'm coming back, I'm coming back. And then he goes to chapter 25, and in chapter 25, as if you're a Bible reader, you know, especially in Matthew, we see what Jesus does is he'll bring some teaching, and then what he'll do is he'll tell three parables and those like triads, we call them three parables, one on top of the other. and they all sort of have the same message saying the same kind of thing to ram home the point that he was trying to make. And so in 25, you see the parable of the ten virgins, which we just read. You see the parable of the talents, which is where the people get, you know, the five, the three, and the one. Say, go, you know, go and work And One of them buries the talent. And Jesus is like, what did you do? And then the last one is the parable of the sheep and the goats. This is end times. This is end times proclamation. This is a prophetic word. And it's it's a warning to his people about what we're supposed to do in the waiting. What do we do? in the waiting. Because we're living in a world that is trying its very best to get the people of God to lose its focus, to stop waiting for our King to return. It's telling us, hey, there's all these comforts, there's all these things. If that's what's going to get you, I'm just going to give you comfort and comfort and comfort so that you might be distracted from the real important stuff. Or I'm going to give you fear and fear and fear and fear so that you will be distracted from what actually matters. And so Jesus tells this parable. It's an interesting parable. It's fascinating because he starts talking about at that time, the kingdom of heaven. So at that time, the end of days, when it comes to the end, at that time, the kingdom of heaven, my kingdom, this is what's going to happen, it will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. What? What are you talking about, Jesus? A bridegroom and virgins? This seems like an R-rated Netflix video. It's like, what's going on? The bridegroom and the virgins and the lamps, what's going on? So here's, here's what it's saying. This, this idea of the bridegroom coming is actually really common. Uh, imagery that Jesus will use right throughout the New Testament, that the New Testament writers will use. I love in Ephesians 5, Paul talks about the fact that, that Christ is, is like the bride. He, he links marriage to the idea that Jesus has married himself to his church, to his people. He's drawn us and brought us to himself. And it's a beautiful picture. It's this idea that when Jesus came 2,000 years ago, he came to, to get engaged to his people. He came to, to, to pay the dowry for his people. Because back then, I didn't just walk up to Joe and be like, hey, do you want to marry me? You know, and go up to her dad and be like, can I marry your daughter? And he's just like, yeah, no worries, champ. No, I had, to, I had to bring money. I had to show that I could look after her. I had to pay a price. For him to say, yeah, yeah, you can have it. And what the Bible tells us in Ephesians 5 is that Jesus paid the dowry with his own life. That he bought us at a price. He bought his church. He earned the right on the cross to come back and claim us as his own. And so there's this beautiful image that this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like the bridegroom who comes for his bride. And it also, more than that, it paints this incredible picture of what a wedding was like back then. Because we do weddings well, don't we? We do weddings well. Like, the bride dresses up and in a nice dress most of the time. <laughs> I didn't say that. The groom will take 10 minutes to slap a suit on and put some wax through the hair if he's got enough hair on his head. And what we do is we then have the groom will come to the church and the groom waits with with his bridal party and the bride gets ready and the bride rocks up and everyone stands and celebrates as the bride comes to the groom and then we say a few things and we sign some papers and then off we go for a party and we celebrate what has happened with a few speeches and a dance. But we don't do weddings like they do weddings or they did weddings. These guys knew how to party, right? We're talking minimum 7 days 7 day festival and the difference is this is that the bride would get ready with her party she'd have her people with her and they'd be getting ready in their house and the groom would be getting ready in his house but the difference is, is that the bride would wait for the groom so the bride would be waiting eagerly waiting when's he coming when's he coming when's he coming and eventually the groom would come with his bridal party to come and collect his bride. And the whole party, the whole village would be there. It's not just, in, you know, it's not COVID. It's not only 100 people in a room. No, no, no. The whole village is there. And what they would do is they would line the streets with their lamps. Because often it was night. Because the groom would be partying with his mates. And it would end up being late. It's hilarious. That's how they operated. And he'd just keep her waiting and keep her waiting. But then he'd, then he'd arrive and they'd all celebrate. And then they'd go off back to the groom's house to celebrate the wedding. With this great banquet and this great feast and Jesus saying, this is exactly what the kingdom of heaven is like. I'm the groom and I'm coming for you. Are you waiting? Are you ready? Are you in your wedding clothes? Are you ready for me? Because I am coming back. I'm gone, but I am coming back. I am going to come for you. I am going to claim you as my own. That day is coming. It's not a myth. It's not just a fanciful story that's in a couple of ancient texts. No, this is true. Are you waiting? Are you ready? Are you prepared for my coming? And so he declares this incredible thing and the people of the day are like, oh, I get that. I get what this is all about. But then there's the matter of the lamps and the oil. Because what we see is that there's two types of, of virgins. The virgins speak of the church. They speak of the bridal party, those who are eagerly waiting and expecting. That's what this is talking about, that pure spotless bride that he's coming back for. So when you read virgins, that's what you've got to think of, the church, God's people. And he says, the thing is that with the the people of God, the religious folk of the day, there's going to be wise and foolish. There's going to be those who are prepared and those who are not. And friends, I want you to see something right here. I know this is our fifth birthday, and I know that we want to laugh, and I know that we want to banter, and we want to joke, and we don't like to come to church and have a serious solemn word, but Jesus is on point, point. and he is bringing a very serious word. He is days away from the cross, and he has no time to muck around. And he's bringing a word that is so direct. And he's saying, there will be people who are ready for my arrival. And there will be people who have the appearance of religion, who have a lamp. They have a lamp. I've given them the lamp. They, they should be waiting, but they will have no oil. They will not be ready. And what, what's the context? Remember, who's he just had a crack at? Who's he just been yelling at and abusing? Religious folk. And what was he saying? He's saying you've got the appearance of godliness, but you've got no oil. You're empty. There's nothing in you. He's saying to the. He's saying now to his disciples, "Don't be like them. Don't be like them. They 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 might look the part, but their hearts are so far from me. I'm after people who have a heart after me, and people who have oil in their lamp." who don't just have religion, who come and do a couple of things and be like, oh, yeah, I've ticked the God box. No, who have an affection for Christ, who are waiting for the groom to come. He's saying, this is what I'm desiring my people to be. He says, there'll be five. I don't think there's any specific meaning in the number. I think he's just saying there's going to be people who are wise and people who are foolish. And here's what I want to do today. I want to just pick up a couple of things. What separates the wise from the foolish? Like, we can read this and we can go, okay, how do I be wise? How do I be wise? What's the difference? How do I be someone who's waiting eagerly for the groom to come, my savior to come? And here's what we see I want to show you a couple of things. First and foremost is this be content but not complacent. Be content. But not complacent. What do I mean by that? Let's go. Verse five: "The bridegroom was a long time in coming. How many of you know it's been 2,000 years? But how many of you know that a thousand years is but a day to the Lord and a day but a thousand years? So we sit there and we've got the whole world telling us, "Oh, it's just fable. What do you believe in Father Christmas? God is coming for us. The king is coming for his people. He is coming back. And while we think it might be a long time, for him it's but a day. He's saying the bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. All! That means the wise and the foolish slept. I've heard this preach where don't fall asleep. Whatever you do, keep your eyes open. Don't ever rest. No, like what, what Jesus is, sleep is a normal part of life. What Jesus is saying is, it's going to be a while, so do life. Yeah, do life. Get a job. Don't be one of those people who just quits everything and goes and sits on a mountain and just hums while you wait because you're certain the savior's going to come next week. No, no one knows the day or the hour, so do life. Be involved in community. Get a job. Like have a family. Engage in, in the everyday actions of life. Don't stress out. Oh my goodness. In the world right now, there are so many people like, oh, the coronavirus vaccine, that's the mark of the beast. And everyone's freaking out about everything that's going on. Jesus saying, be content. How many times has he said, do not fear? How many times has he said, do not worry? What he's saying is read the word. You'll know the mark of the beast when the mark of the beast comes, if you're the people of God. You'll know all of that. Because that's, firstly, the temple's got to be real big, And then there's got to be the, you know, the abomination, that least to desolation. Some of you will look at me like, well, you've got to read Revelation. Maybe we'll study it soon. There's stuff that's going to come. This is what he's saying. Be prepared. Know. Know what's going on. Know the signs of the times. Recognize it. But be content because your king is coming back. He has bought you at a price. He is coming back. He is faithful. He is true. He's knocked down the walls in the past and he will knock down these walls in the future. Be content, but do not be complacent. Do not allow the things of our culture and the things of our world to become more important than the preparation for the groom who is coming. Do not allow the distractions of this world to become more important than the preparation for the wedding feast of the Lamb. Do not allow your television, your phone and all of these things to become more important than the promises of God and the the assurance of God in his word that will bring us life. Don't allow the oil to be lost because you care more about everything else than the one thing that actually matters. So be content, do life, raise your family, engage in the things of this life and love God, but don't be complacent because he is coming back. He is coming back. Hallelujah. Number two, understand that you can't borrow or buy anyone else's oil. Watch this. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us. And you instead go to those who sell the oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they're on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. What is the oil? Martin Luther talked about the oil being enduring real faith. That's what the oil is, that we can have religion, but religion without faith is dead. Others have spoken about that the oil is good works and good deeds, and they're sort of linking that to the next parable, because the next parable talks about the talents that God's given us. we have got to put the talents to work and bear fruit. And then others talk about, well, in Scripture, the oil is the Holy Spirit, the anointing oil. The Spirit of God will come, and we need the Spirit of God And sometimes that gets distorted because then they'll say that you have to have the gifts in order to be saved and all that sort of stuff. That's nonsense. I think, actually, it's all three. Because the Bible says that faith... No one can confess Jesus Christ is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So God grants us the Spirit, and the Spirit gives rise to real, genuine faith. And real, genuine faith will do what? Produce good works. We talked about this... The other week, we talked about loving your neighbor flows out of a real genuine conviction of what God has done in our lives. Not because we're trying to please God by our works, which the religious people are doing, but because of the overflow of what God has done in us. And so when the spirit of God comes and it produces faith, faith produces good works. And so when we look at the oil, oil is the evidence of what God has done in our life. Oil is a gift from God. The groom has left the oil for the bride. The groom has given us this and said, now be ready. Be ready. I've given you what you need. Be ready. Be ready. Be ready. But here's the interesting thing: is because that oil, all through Scripture, it talks about this this waiting. There's there's a part this idea of discipline, this idea of tending the oil. We can't buy or borrow anyone else's oil. I can't I can't say, well, my mum and dad had faith, and therefore I'm fine, as some traditions would say. We can't say, well, my ancestors were believed in God, and I, you know, I'm. He's up there. That's not what this is about. He's saying, no, 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 you need oil. You need genuine affection for Christ. But he will give it to us as we wait upon him, as we read his word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. As we hear the promises of God and the truth of God, as truth is proclaimed in a world of, of darkness and lies and deception, in the midst of that when we see light in darkness, he gives us what we need to follow and pursue him. We see this. He's giving us the oil. So he's saying, tend to the oil. Tend to the oil. Again, all through Scripture, he talks about this idea of ask and you will receive. Ask the Father. If you ask your Father for a loaf of bread, he's not going to give you a, a serpent. Say, like, God, just fill me with the oil. Fill me with what I need that I might walk and run the race of faith. I might live as I'm called to live. Understand, you cannot be, Borrow or buy anyone else's oil. Number three, it's not what you know, but who you know that counts. There is a solemn word right here about the wedding banquet. And we, you know, we talk about how great that wedding banquet's going to be. It's going to be a celebration. It's going to be a feast. But that last day is also going to be a terrible day. The Bible says there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth because there will be some who reject the oil that has been given them. There will be some who reject the Saviour and that day will come and they will knock on that door and he will say, I tell you the truth, I do not know you. And remember, this is targeted just after an encounter with the people who knew everything. This is targeted at those religious folk, those people who walked around with the phylacteries on their head. If you don't know what that is, it's basically like verses of the Bible which they would stick on their forehead and they'd walk around and be like, look how much I know. I can quote scripture left, right and centre. They literally walked around with a book on their forehead. Like this pride, this religious pride. And Jesus has just said, no! It's not about that, it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. It's about recognizing the love of God that has come for you and bought you at a price. He gave everything that you would know him. Everything in 1 Corinthians 13 at that beautiful marriage passage which is talking about the love of God, remember marriage, it's not the marriage is supposed to point to Christ and his bride. And it's showing us it's about love, it's about the love that he gave for us. It's about the love that he displayed in his son and that he's come for us. And it says, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will know fully as we are fully known. This beautiful image that our God is coming in and he knows us and we know him. Yeah, my sheep know my name. It's not about what you know. It's not about being able to quote an enormous amount of scripture. It's not being able to quote church history and tell everyone all this stuff about stuff. It's about, do you know Christ? Is your heart Filled with an affection for the the living God who has come for you. Is there oil in your lamp? And on that day, if there's oil in the lamp, he says, yes, come. Come to the great banquet, the eternal, joyful, glorious feast with God. And then he finishes with one thing. I'm going to invite the band up and we'll close. And it's this beautiful command, the focus of this message. Therefore, in light of all of this, in light of everything we've just learned, what does it say? Keep watch. Keep watch. Stay alert. Stay alert. Be content but not complacent. Understand that you cannot borrow or buy anyone else's oil. It is a gift from God that He would just desperately love you to receive. So tend to it. Some of you are like, oh no, He's going to talk about reading the Word again. Oh, He's going to talk about praying again. And He's going to talk about worship again. And he's going to talk about that stuff. Yep, I am. Do you know why? Because this is life. This is a two-edged sword. This is the word of God. This is not a book. This is life to those who would receive it. This is the oil that he has given us, which gives rise to faith, so that we might have a lamp that goes on burning, so that we might be able to hold that lamp and be the light on the hill to the to the world, that the world would know that there is a groom who's coming for them, who's paid a price for them, who wants eternal relationship with them. So for the love of God, read His promises. Start your day not with a newsfeed of distraction and deception. Start your day with the Word of God because that's what a wise virgin does. A foolish virgin spends all their time looking at everything else and they don't realise the oil is empty. A wise virgin, a wise person who's waiting on the Lord is engaged in the world. Yes, engaged in the world's affairs but knows that the most important thing is that God is coming for them and they lead their families that way and they're declaring those promises and that hope to the world around them. Read the Word of God. Pray. (laughs) Because God is real. (laughs) He's given us his spirit that we might commune with him, that we might converse with him, that we can pray, we can bring our requests before a holy God and he hears us. He speaks to us through his word. And praise, because praise is powerful. There's been many times this year when I have lamented the world in which we live. There's been many times this year where the last thing I've wanted to do is praise because yet another bloomin' thing has got in the road of what we're trying to do. But when we praise God, we realise, oh, hang on, he's still on the throne. He knows what he's doing. He's in charge. He's worthy. Coronavirus has not surprised the Lord. He's all over this. Some of you are going through some stuff. Some of you have been through trials. Some of you have been through hardship. Some of you are looking at a brick wall and you're like, how will I ever get through this brick wall? Turn around. Look back. Take a moment just to remember all the walls He's crushed in the past. Take a moment to turn back and look at the defining crushing moment, the cross which split time itself and realize that this wall also in God's hands may we never forget the groom is coming back for his bride he's bought us he's earned the right he's coming back whether we like it or not he is coming back he's coming back are we praying for that are we saying come back That, that bride is sitting there like oh hurry up Come on. My fear is that the Western church particularly, instead of waiting for the groom, is looking at everything else. And saying, oh, I'm not quite ready yet. i got stuff I want to do. And I kind of get that if you're actually engaged, you're getting married next week, that there's a moment where you're like, man, I just want to get married, just... Give me one week. <laughs> well, I get that. But the point is, are our, are our hearts turned to a Christ? Are we longing for Him to come? Are we longing for that, that day? And does that day cause our hearts and our the fire in us to burn, that others would not be a foolish version, that they would not be left outside of the great wedding banquet, where there will be gnashing of teeth, where it will be a terrible day.
1: But our hearts
0: are meet the bridegroom. He's already bought you. He's he's done everything for you. Come on, there's a banquet. There's a glorious banquet waiting for us. You're hungry, come on. That we would have that fire in our land. That's the prayer. That we'd be ready. That we'd be keeping watch because we do not know the day or the hour, but we do know Let's stand to our feet, let's pray. Gracious and loving, heavenly Father, we thank you for what you have done. And Lord, we pray that as a church, that we would recognize that you've come, that we might just walk in your love for us, Lord. And we just pray that we would stop worshiping ourselves. That we'd stop chasing after everything this world has to offer us. That we'd stop living in fear. We'd start living by faith. We'd start living with oil in our lamps. And we'd start living in the promises of God and the surety of faith that those promises bring. We want to worship you above all things. We want our eyes to be on you. And God, we just pray that you would return. Come back. But in the waiting, may we wait with eager anticipation with lamps that burn bright for the oil you have bestowed. We pray this in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said, Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, Find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.